What's up, Metal Maniacs? You've got George. You've got Tom. You've You've got got another another podcast podcast coming. coming. Cheers, George. Cheers, Tom. So, George, what are we drinking today, sir? Well, actually, first, let's crack it open. Ah, I love that sound effect. Uh, Never gets old. Today's brew is UFO Pumpkin. Now, we're getting into October here as we're recording this. So pumpkin beer is very apropos, and I gotta say, I think UFO might be my favorite pumpkin beer of all. I never get tired of pumpkin beers, dude. Like, as shameless as that sound, I also like my pumpkin spice cold brew from Starbucks. And you can go fuck yourself if you don't like it. (laughs) You know, it's so funny how people think, Oh, "Oh, so good. Pumpkin, that's for basic white girls. But... Get fucked. Something you might not have known is, and I read this on Sam Adams Pumpkin, some facts on the beer bottle, and they said that their pumpkin brew was a tribute to the original beer brewers in colonial Massachusetts in the 16 or 1700s, mm. who originally would put actual pumpkin peel into their beer mm. to add a little bit of flavor and sweetness. There you go. So listen... It's not for basic white girls. We're, <laughs> we're taking it back. Pumpkin beer is for the real Americans, okay? Cheers, George. Cheers, Tom. I gotta say, this is actually a fantastic pumpkin beer. I'm not sure if I've had this one before, but you really get the pumpkin taste in it. Some people, you know, they kind of... I, I don't want to say they they slack in the pumpkin department, but they don't go all the way with it. Sure, and sometimes you get the other end where you've got a pumpkin beer that's yep. overboard and it's too sweet. And this one is right. UFO is just a really yeah. solid beer company. I like a lot of what they put out. This is a very well-balanced beer. It's got it's got plenty of beer flavor without sacrificing pumpkin and vice versa. Oh, and just one more point about Sam Adams, man. It's like Say what you will about their, like, yearly beers. Their seasonal brews are not to be missed. That's one of the original American craft beer companies. Yeah. And even though they've become mainstream in recent years, they are rock solid. You and me have said this for a long time, that some things are popular for a reason. With all of that being said, my good friend, I'm very excited for the subject of today's episode. Sure. Because you've got another podcast coming. And you've got another thing coming now. Yeah, buddy. Oh, dude. Not only is this the one of the songs that I wa- was really excited about talking about when we started talking about this podcast last year, this is the first Judas Priest song I ever heard when I was probably, I want to say, 13 or 14 years old. Mm-hmm. This was the first one. What a great introduction to the band. I would say that all of the of all of the songs that they have, this one is the most approachable. It's good listening for anyone, regardless of what their stance on metal is. I feel like most people can listen to You Got Another Thing Coming. Yeah, and people know this song too. 
my wife, who is not a metalhead by any stretch, she knows this song. And this song seems like it gets sort of a resurgence every few years in the public consciousness when it shows up in a movie or video game. It's been in tons of them. And it feels like it's just one of those evergreen metal classics like Paranoid or Run to the Hills. This song is always sort of in the zeitgeist of one of the metal hits of all time. Oh, for sure, man. As far as new wave of British heavy metal goes, this is, dude, this is like one of these songs along with things like Ace of Spades, for example. It's in the popular consciousness of metal. It's classic. You know, it wouldn't be classified as classic rock by any stretch of the imagination, but like I said before, it's very approachable for a metal song. Now, often I find that when I'm talking to normies about metal, the one thing that I hear most from people is, oh, I love the music, I just can't stand all the screaming. Which is one reason why I think Priest in particular captures the imagination and taps into a vein because most of their music is very accessible to most people. And You Got Another Thing Coming is a small part of that storied tradition. Yeah, absolutely. You just made me think of this one time I sat next to an acquaintance on the bus. She asked me what I was listening to. I said, oh, you know, just some heavy metal. And she's like, oh, you listen to metal? I can't believe it. You want to hear someone screaming in your ear all day? <laughs> oh, God. And, well, sometimes I do. Yeah. But that wasn't what I was listening to at the time. And I said, no, no, put this on. Trust me, it's not like you think. Because Judas Priest is as metal as it gets, but they're also a band that is not so intimidating for someone who isn't so much into heavy music. Mm. You've Got Another Thing Coming is just a great, fun sing-along. And it has truly withstood the test of time from the day it was first released up until now. It is a staple of their live performance. It is probably mm, almost as much as, say, Electric Eye or Metal Gods. You think of Classic Priest. It's like, oh, dude, you've got another thing coming. And, you know, it's also just a great song to get behind because at its core, it's about living life. It's about seizing the day. And that's a really good, easy message to get behind when I talk about the approachability of the song, it's got themes that anyone can really relate to. You're absolutely right. And I think in You've Got Another Thing Coming, Rob Halford and the band, they're speaking really directly to the youth. The song is about standing up for who you are, and it's sort of a pushback against how the more mainstream and conservative spaces in popular culture weren't 100% accepting of metal music yet, and in a lot of countries, it's still not the case for that matter. But regardless of that, you know, this is a song that sort of validates the Judas Priest fan base in that 
they should be proud of who they are and stand up for what they like and carve out their own path in life if there's something that they really believe in. It's hard to imagine now, but at the time this song came out, you had a lot of cultural backlash to metal. You know, we've all heard of the Filthy 15 and the Crusades of Tipper Gore trying to essentially get heavy metal censored or banned outright. This song was essentially a middle finger to the establishment saying, no. We're not going anywhere. We're here now. We're here to stay. And you are going to respect that. And, Hell you yeah. know, Judas Priest was fighting the good fight all the way back in 1982. And, you know, thank the gods for that, man. Because without that, who knows what could have happened if we didn't have people putting up this sort of tenacious resistance. Sure. And it's that sort of mainstream conservative media that they're pushing back against, like you said. Mm. And they reference that directly, I think, with some of the lines like, if you think I'll sit around while you chip away my brain, listen, I ain't fooling, and you'd better think again. What I interpret that as is the band saying, you can't tell me what to think. You have to let me carve out my own path in life and make up my own mind of things. And this music is not detrimental to the youth like you say it is. We can deliver a positive message. We can inspire people. And some of the people who feel like they're sort of outsiders in society, they can find a place to belong with us. And that was the amazing thing is that metalheads have existed since the beginning of time and have never had access to this music the way we do but clearly there was a thirst for this and there was a hunger for heavier music for as long as we've had music more than likely you know even if you hear classical composers like Beethoven and Wagner there's some really sort of heavy almost sinister tones in the music that they constructed, those guys probably would have been metalheads if they were born today. Sure. There are some people who say that there are classical music pieces that basically is metal, but with piano instead. Sure. I mean, there's a reason that so many metal musicians and metalheads listen to classical music because that same energy, you can hear it in classical music. I mean, and just listen to something like night on bald mountain and it's one of the absolute heaviest things you'll ever hear even though it's clearly just classical music
So tell me, if you hear that, can you not easily imagine that song being played on guitars instead? Absolutely, I could. And Night on the Bald Mountain is very famous for being in the Disney movie Fantasia. Uh, The song itself goes back even further. Uh, It was written by Modest Mussorgsky. I just butchered that name who was alive in the 1800s. Now, just like you said, I think that sort of proves that there was always sort of a desire for music to explore some darker territories, even though they may not have had the exact equipment that they use to create Mm -hmm. metal like we have now, like electric guitars, but they were doing their own sort of heavy, dark atmosphere with the equipment that they had at Mm -hmm. the time. People were really terrified of metal for a long time, man. You know, it's so weird to think about because we have the privilege to be born in a time where, for all intents and purposes, metal is something that it doesn't really piss off the establishment anymore. In the United States, at least. In other parts of the world, yeah, you could probably get killed for playing heavy metal. I'm sure that happens somewhere, but... You can you can still get imprisoned in Iran for playing metal yeah. in the year 2021. I, I mean, how many bands? Which is a travesty. Yeah, but not to get too political. Sure, I mean, but how many bands have gone to Russia and got apprehended by the police when they've landed? You know, it's a thing we take for granted. I think that because of bands like Twisted Sister and Priest coming forward and defending this music, defending it all in up in the highest echelons of government even. You know, I don't remember the exact case when this happened, but Priest actually went to court over a case where someone claimed that their son killed themselves over a Priest song, and they analyzed the song, and they said that in the background they could hear a subliminal message saying, just do it. And Rob Halford said, that could mean anything. That could mean brush your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll definitely have a huge discussion on that once we do an episode on Better By You, Better Than Me. Okay, perfect. But the, th- the point we're trying to impress upon our listeners is that this is a heavy metal anthem that is defiant to the core and saying to the establishment, we're here We've been here, and we're not going anywhere. It's so true. So hot, no time to take a rest. Act tough, ain't room for second best. Real strong, got me some security. I'm a big smash. I'm going for infinity. It has such a positive message. This is not demon worship music. It's empowering, and it also stands as a very valid counterpoint to any sort of negative sentiment that metal had Mm. to the mainstream masses at the time. It's like, this music is not necessarily what you think it is. There's plenty of metal that is digestible to the average listener, has 
a inspiring message to the people who listen to it. Mm. And I think a song like You've Got Another Thing Coming is so important to have if it brings your fan base together and makes them feel less alone. Mm. Metal has always made me feel less alone. It's made me feel like there's something that I really connect with. The metal community has done so much to help me grow as a person and feel like there's a place in society where I can be accepted for who I am. And as an aside, that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to get this podcast going is because with this podcast, Tom and I, if I may speak for you, I think we both feel like we're giving something back to the metal community that has done so much for us. I like to think that we're contributing to it in our own way. And that is Really, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do that. And already we've been introduced to so many really great, amazing people through the brief time that we've been doing this podcast, connecting with people over stories and our experiences with metal. And, you know, metal has always been a safe haven for the dejected and the disenfranchised which is why I think that having a song like this that anyone, regardless of what type of metal you prefer to listen to, anyone can listen to this song and come together in the spirit of metal and tell the entire world that you got another thing coming if you think we're going to bow down to you and your rules and what you think we should be doing with ourselves. That's a wonderful way to put it, Tom. Now, what sort of impact did You've Got Another Thing Come and Have? And I think we all know this story, but for those who don't, this song was huge right from the beginning. First single off Screaming for Vengeance, it reached number four on the U.S. rock charts, which drove the album to reach two million sales. That's still the best-selling Judas Priest album to date. And in the year 2021, you can't even fathom an album selling that many copies. You can't even fathom that sort of thing getting airplay on public radio. No, but there's a tremendous legacy to You've Got Another Thing Coming. It's Judas Priest's number four most played song live. Uh, Obviously, that's at the time we're recording this. And oftentimes, it's even the closer of the concert. been in video games, TV, movies. I remember, I think it was in the very first Guitar Hero video game. Oh, wow, Guitar Hero. We're dating ourselves with that one, Tom. (laughs) Dude, I feel like a dinosaur. (laughs) Why'd you do this to me? You've got another thing coming. It's a certifiable hit. Mm -hmm. And dare I say, it's one of the most recognizable songs in metal history. Oh, yeah, man. Like, you hear that opening guitar chug, that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. You just... You hear that and you go, oh, okay, it's priest mode now. Okay. Hell yeah. Yeah. And it just, you know, it's so simple and elegant. It just, it gets the blood pumping. 
in a way that not a lot of songs do. I think it's just it's still exciting and it yes. still gets you in the mood. Yeah. The very first line, one life, I'm going to live it up. It resonates with the audience big time in the live setting. And I pretty distinctly remember being at shows and hearing the crowd shout that line so loud. The audience was louder than the band for a hot second. Isn't that insane to think about? That's how jazzed up people get for this song. Yeah. And I think that just goes to show how like we've been saying, how powerful the song's message is. Mm. And it's also just a great song, man. It's a great riff. Halford is really going in hard on it because you can tell that this is a song that's coming from deep within him, and he's vindicated when he sings this. And you've got that just perfect solo from Glenn Tipton at the very end that almost, you know, it doesn't wrap the song up, but it adds just an extra level of flair to it right and like we've talked about before it's not a technical incredibly difficult solo it's a solo that's soulful it has a lot of feel it's a solo that you remember and gets stuck in your head like the riff itself i mean nothing about the song is like technically very complicated it doesn't have to be because the song is doing what it was meant to do and it's saying what it has to say in exactly as much time as it takes to say it could you imagine if this song had never been written why would i even want to live in a world without (laughs) this song man that was almost the case really you know I'll read you a quote from Ian Hill now. This song was very much an accident. We recorded most of the material in the Mediterranean. We went to Orlando, Florida and mixed the album and discovered it was a little short. We were mixing and we thought that this album should be another three or four minutes longer. So we did our best to get something together, a bit of album filler. That is very unusual for us because we never take that sort of attitude making filler he's referring to. Yeah. But it was that song, You've Got Another Thing Coming, and it was written and recorded within hours. It was an afterthought. It's nuts to think about that, that this song was never even meant to exist, but it almost willed itself into existence. And that's like a classic trope that you hear about in rock music and metal music. I think a lot of people know about Warren's Cherry Pie being written in like half an hour. And 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 it was their biggest song. And Jenny Lane regretting it for the rest of his life. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not the only story. I mean, you hear about a lot of popular acts have sort of fallen backwards into their biggest hits. Yeah. Sweet Child of Mine, that riff was a warm-up exercise that Slash used to do before going on stage. Mm. And one of his bandmates at some point 
caught on to it and said, that's really good. Maybe you should put that in a song. I believe it was actually Axl Rose who was the one who caught on and said we could do something with that. This is not really germane to this particular subject, but I think it's a interesting little tidbit nonetheless. So Bring the Noise, you know, by Quiet Riot. I mean, it's not their song. It's a cover, and they didn't even want to do it. They recorded that song in one take. What you hear on that track is the first time they played it, and they nailed it in that first run-through. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is with bands stumbling backwards into huge hit songs, Yeah, but when you hear stories like that, you almost feel like it's meant to be. Well, that's what I was saying when I mean this song willed itself into existence because... And somehow it became huge. Yeah, and it was, and it's just an incredible thing. You know, conversely, you can make a song that you think is going to be your biggest hit and it's not going to be well received at all. Art is very incredible like that. You know, nobody knew who Vincent Van Gogh was while he was alive. It wasn't until he died that people really recognized his work and... Art has a very strange way of becoming prominent in the least expected way possible. That's a great way to put it, Tom. This song, as we all know, it would become huge. Rob Halford sort of backs that up. He says, and I quote, You've Got Another Thing Coming was a track that we sort of buried, we literally buried on the back of the album, But that was the one that was discovered by radio and made into the hit that it was. The side of it in Priest's World is one of excitement and surprise when tracks have been picked up and given airplay. I don't think we ever specifically sat down and and said, today we're going to write a top 40 rock radio hit (laughs) because we haven't ever been able to do that. That's not part of who we are. It's just that we've been lucky with some of the songs we've made that they have achieved that attention. Just what humility, too, to be to even come out and admit we never intended to make a statement or to really be a, what would you say, a top-selling band, but we kind of stumbled into this sleeper hit, and we're all the better for it, you know? Sure. More people were probably exposed to Priest through this song and arguably any other song they've written. There is so much to talk about in this episode because this is such a hugely important song to a lot of people. Do you remember how you felt when you first heard You Got Another Thing Coming? Do you remember what you thought about it? So I remember, you know, and I brought this up in the past that it was my dad that showed me this song. And for that reason alone, it's very special to me, you know, especially since years later, I got to expand his knowledge of Priest by showing him Firepower and Painkiller. And and when I first heard this song, I don't know that I thought much of it when I was a kid. But I definitely know that over time, as I listened to it, I became obsessed. 
And it has been a go-to for me ever since. What's funny is my initial reactions were not so dissimilar to yours. Now, I had the Screaming for Vengeance CD, one of the CDs that I inherited from my father. But at the time, this is pre-internet proliferation. I didn't know what the hits were. I didn't know the biggest songs. I just sort of listened to the CD and had to make up my own mind about what I liked best. And I was drawn more towards the thrashy, heavier songs like Electric Eye and Screaming for Vengeance. And you got another thing coming. It really clicked with me later down the line, but especially from seeing the band live and getting that firsthand experience of how much it whipped up the crowd into the frenzy. And then in turn, the band feeds on that energy and they light up and they gain the sort of electric energy that they feed off of. Mm. And they really sell the song as many hundreds of times that they've played it live, maybe even more than a thousand times at this point. And it still looks like they're having a blast. And I think that's because they know how much the fans love this song and seeing the smiles in the crowd just makes them satisfied every time. energy is a it's it really is a constant feedback loop between you and the audience you're up on that stage and the band really can only give as good of a performance as the audience allows them to and what i mean by that is that you really do feed off of the energy that the audience is giving back and it really helps you to elevate the performance and clearly in this case You've got Priest being jazzed to play the song, and then the audience is going nuts. It gets the audience energized like no other song in their discography, and they feed off of that, and for that very reason, it's a song that they never get tired of playing because you play that and the energy in the air is unlike anything you'll ever experience in your life. God, yes. I think you could say that about a lot of bands' most popular songs. Yeah. But with Priest, it's especially prevalent because this is a song that has been passed down from generation to generation at this point, yeah. just like in your experience. And I remember when we saw the band live on the Firepower tour, you felt like you just had to film this song for your dad yeah. so that you could share the experience with him. And I think that's so cool. It was a really cool experience. It's like it brought like it brought my whole experience with the song full circle in a way. And you know, it was nice to have that moment and it's nice to see people smiling at a show and having a good time as opposed to, you know, don't get me wrong, man, like as much as I love my black metal and I love, you know, 
going to a concert and scowling the whole time <laughs> and getting caught up in that sort of satanic energy. There's something about going to a show and just having fun and a good time and you're smiling and the band is up there and they're having a great time. There's different kinds of energy. It's a different experience like seeing Watane, for example, than it is seeing Priest. And I would say that Priest, as much as I love my Watane, Priest is definitely refreshing because it does harken back to a time when metal was, I don't want to say less serious, but maybe it was approached with a little more levity. So Tom, I really want to know, where do you think Judas Priest would be today if they had never written You've Got Another Thing Coming? <clears throat> what do you think the band's legacy would be like? Would it be any different? I'm not sure that... Huh. So, I'm not entirely sure that they would lose as much status because they've got so many other hits that came out in spite of You've Got Another Thing Coming. But I don't quite think they would be at that legendary, almost mythic status they've reached without it. Would they still be one of the biggest bands of all time? And would they still be as famous? Probably. Mm -hmm. But to elevate them to that level where they're untouchable, I don't think that happens without You've Got Another Thing Coming. Sure. And I think that we're definitely in agreement there. And... I don't want to be too repetitive because I have a lot of the same thoughts as you. But yeah, this band did have a good, successful career before You Got Another Thing Coming came out. There were plenty of popular songs they wrote. They had Hellbent for Leather. They already had Breaking the Law, Heading Out to the Highway. Those were hugely popular songs. It would be a tremendous loss to metal culture if Judas Priest never wrote You Got Another Thing Coming. I don't know if they would be any less popular because their live show has always been on point they've got so many great classics but you've got another thing coming it's a classic on another level and like you said before i don't want to think about a world where this song doesn't exist yeah and i'm very grateful that it does that we live in the timeline where they decided at the last minute that they were going to record that song. If Parallel we, timelines are a hell of a thing, man. Yeah, you think about that, man. You think of... Dude, think of a timeline where, like, Al Atkins was still with the band <laughs> or something. Or if Tim Owens kept being with them. Sure. Think about 1986 and Turbo selling so well that Judas Priest decided to stay glam forever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done. I don't want to think about this anymore. <laughs> no. We're done, people. We're yeah. done with this episode. Uh, so, yeah, enough enough with like the theoretical. I want to stick with the material right now. <laughs> and the material is that we live in the timeline where this kick-ass song exists, and we get to talk about it and share it with others and enjoy it. So... Is this the band's biggest hit? They've had several mega hits, so it's kind of debatable. I think that there might be just as many people who know Breaking the Law 
Um, Living After Midnight's huge. Turbo Lover was extremely popular, although that might not have kept up into the third millennium. But yeah, the band did have a lot of great songs going on. At the very least, I think it's reasonable to say You've Got Another Thing Coming was Judas Priest's biggest hit in the USA. There's just, you know, the thing about You've Got Another Thing Coming is that there's something about it that you can't quite put your finger on. It's undeniably special because if you think about it, it really doesn't sound like any other Priest song. It does not. While at the same time, you obviously know that that's Priest playing, but it stands apart from the rest of their discography as something entirely unique and so special. Isn't that so appropriate for the theme of most of the songs we've talked about on this podcast already? Because we've made quite a big deal out of how many different things Priest has tried and found success with. And we've sort of hammered home that this is a very diverse sounding metal band, especially within the confines of how much they explore what they can do within the genre. And even in the context of a single album, you know, Screaming for Vengeance has a lot of different things going on. And you've got some extremely heavy, almost thrashy and speed metal songs. But then you've also got songs like You've Got Another Thing Coming that are more approachable and that sort of interesting diversity makes Screaming for Vengeance a really cool album that keeps your attention the whole time. It doesn't get samey. It's a classic for a reason, man. And, you know, I truly believe that you've got another thing coming and Screaming for Vengeance will continue to withstand the test of time and it will be here and people will be listening to it long after all of us have dissolved into dust. Listen, at the end of the day, years go by, time passes, not every song will get remembered, but I think this is a song that will. This is a song that will stand out as one of the classic metal songs for many years to come. Mm. On a slightly more somber note, there's a lot going on in the world right now that gives me cause to despair. And what a tragedy it would be if, for whatever reason, future generations didn't get to hear this song. What a waste. What an artistic achievement. What an incredible piece of music. Just for that reason alone, we shouldn't go quiet into the night. I don't think. And for just heavy metal alone, it's worth preserving everything we've built. Oh my God. I agree with you 100%. And I think actually music preservation is in a better place than it ever has been Mm. because now you could go on YouTube or you could go on Spotify and you could listen to almost any song that you can think of. So This song, I feel that as long as the internet doesn't blow up, (laughs) this song will always be accessible. And it's just a matter of continuing to spread the word to the younger generations. Have you heard the gospel of the priest? Yeah, boy. And I think this song isn't going anywhere because there will always be those new generations of fans 
popping up. You see some teenagers at every concert you go to who are just discovering music for the first time. And when you look up what are the classic metal albums, this is one that you will find Mm. Screaming for Vengeance and You've Got Another Thing Coming obviously being one of the biggest songs on it, even though the band may not have expected that at the time. You know, the spirit of metal, it is constantly passed down from one generation to the next. And as long as that spirit endures, there will be people seeking this genre out. And as long as they're seeking it out, they're going to find this song. And They always will, Tom. Yeah. I think you brought up that exact concept before when you said metalheads have always existed there's always been a desire to listen to something heavy and if they've always existed in the past then that leads me to believe that we'll always continue existing into the future satan willing yeah george i gotta say man i think that's a perfect spot to leave off on this episode hey listeners what was the first priest song you ever heard? Do you remember the first time you heard You've Got Another Thing Coming? What did you think of it? We'd love to hear your stories. Shoot us an email at metalgodspodcast at gmail.com. Get us on Twitter. We got Facebook. Check those links out in the episode description on whatever app you're using. And don't forget to check out the other amazing podcasts in the Deep Dive Podcast Network. We're not the only ones. We certainly weren't the first. Sure. If you like Judas Priest, you probably like some of the other bands on this network, Mm. like Deep Purple, Leonard Skinner, Queen, Ozzy. I could go on. Mm. Lots of great shows. So check out our friends on the Deep Dive Network. And until next time, stay locked in and keep keep defending defending the the faith. faith.